Hello, this is Nemo Martin. This is Brent Barricades, Alema's podcast. Um, I am recording this special episode today, um, even though an episode is supposed to come out tomorrow, um, because it is Transgender Day of Visibility. And um, I recently gave this talk at a, suppo- uh, at a symposium uh, at my university as part of the Arts and Decolonization um, program. And uh, I thought that it was maybe a fitting thing to talk about um, on this day. Um, And it's just me today, um, Nemo Martin, and I use they them pronouns. Um, So today I'm going to be talking about my paper. It was called Decidedly I Am Beautiful, Exploring the Use of Identity Euphoria in Literary Criticism. Before we start, I wanted to flag the content warnings, um, which I usually do in the show notes, but today, uh, because it's a special, I'll do it here. Um, I'm going to be discussing racism and transphobia, specifically anti-Zionism, anti-blackness, and anti-Asian racism. There is a brief mention of suicide completion, and I refer to police brutality. Also, this isn't a content warning, but if you've listened to this podcast before, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, despite my PhD being in French literature, my pronunciation of French is absolutely terrible, and I'm very sorry in advance, I've avoided saying as much French as possible. So the PhD that I'm working on is about positive representations of race and transgender identity in Victor Hugo's 1862 novel Les Miserables. People often say to me, I didn't realise that there were any representations of race or transgender identity in Les Mis, let alone positive ones, and this is why I consider my work to be decolonial. There is anti-blackness and orientalism in Les Miserables, which is not my focus today, but you would be forgiven if you read any work on Hugo and you did not know this. Not only does literary criticism often make race and racism invisible, we are encouraged towards readings that suggest that to be trans and or a person of colour, whichever general term we use to mean non-white, is to only find ourselves by looking for repeated and explicit acts of violence and discrimination. According to the Gender Recognition Act of 2004 in the UK, a diagnosis of self-hatred is necessary to obtain a certificate of transgender identity. This term is dysphoria, which is defined as unease or dissatisfaction with our body. To be trans, one must hate oneself. Critical readings often approach texts with the same assumption that non-normative identities are linked with feelings of self-hatred and shame. I, personally, have clutched at readings of texts that state a character's self-hatred, shame and disgust at themselves, and taken these as evidence of queerness and of being a racialized body, because those are the traits assigned to us. Take, for instance, the primary antagonist of Les Miserables, Javert. For anyone who doesn't know, Javert is born in a prison, becomes a cop, lives the law, and eventually completes suicide because of his realisation that the justice system is flawed. When you look at Javert's Wikipedia entry, we are told that, in quotes, because of his mother's occupation as a fortune teller and the book statement that he belonged to a G-slur race, it has been hypothesised that he was intended to be ethnically Romany. In Rose's translation of the Hugo, as Javert was growing up, he felt as though he were on the outside of society and despaired of ever getting in. He was, clouded by inexpressible hatred for the race of bohemians to who he belonged. He joined the police. He did well there. In this one paragraph, we're given a set of information, including his parentage, his self-hatred, his inherent criminality, his being outcast, his rising once he has separated himself from his family and thus from his race, and this supposedly adds up until we come to the conclusion that he must, in fact, be Romany. And yet this conclusion, which is accepted enough to land a fairly prominent spot on his Wikipedia entry, originates from a mistranslation. Hugo's original line is Javert's inexprimable en pour cette race de bohème dont il était. 
Charles Wilbur, in 1862, mistranslated Hugo's adjective poem as a reference to Gervais being the Gisler rather than as an evocation of his parents' bohemian lifestyle. Wilbur's mistake suggests that he read Gervais' parents' fortune-telling and criminality as evidence of the family's race. Because of the common association between self-hatred and being a person of colour, this translation was accepted unquestioningly and was used again by Fonstock and McAfee in 1987. For over 120 years, this translation has placed anti-Zionist intentions over any care about the reality of its impact on a hypothetical Romani reader. In using racism as shorthand to create a link between Javert, Romani, and self-hatred, this translation upholds the idea that Javert's shame of his family is the root of his desire to join the superior white race as embodied by the police force. Again, Javert can only rise from his hate-worthy ethnicity by committing violence against those like himself. Farnstock and McAvey's choice to reiterate this racist vocabulary in 1987 means that a new generation of Romani people were affected by the propagation of the idea that to be Romani is to be criminal and the goal for people of colour is to assimilate into whiteness. This is not without consequence. In a blog post titled There's a Grief That Can't Be Spoken, a Romani Tumblr user who calls himself Shut the Fuck Up Gadja, which means non-Roma, analyzes a now-deleted post, in which various users criticize an image from a fan confessional blog. In the image, an anonymous fan states that they do not think that black actor Norm Lewis should have been cast as Javert in the 25th anniversary concert of the musical, because this casting does not make historical sense. To quote Shut the Fuck Up, other users point out correctly that people of colour existed in Europe in the 1800s and that the practice of colourblind casting, horrible term, good casting practice, has been ultimately beneficial in bringing new, thoughtful, skilled and dynamic artistic takes on old characters. Then the subject of whether or not Javert is a G-slur comes up, end quote. Shut the Fuck Up talks about the fan discourse of whether or not fans should portray Javert as Romany in their works. This discourse has transformed over time from one, as Hugo explicitly calls Javert Romani, we should not whitewash him, through to two, the debunking of the Wilbur translation and the offensive conflation of criminality with being Romani, encouraging an avoidance of portraying Javert as being of colour, all the way to three, Gadja attempting to reclaim the Romani identity for Javert, as if to do so is to one-up Victor Hugo's own racism. Shut the Fuck Up summarises the discourse in their conclusion, quote, It goes unremarked upon that it is far less common for people's interpretations of any of the more clear-cut protagonists to be Romany. Nobody says that Marius or Cosette, the romantic leads, might be part Romany. Nobody suggests that the revolutionary furor of one of the characters leading the June Rebellion might be due to a desire to see some improvement in the lives of their oppressed community. I am troubled by this because it's one of those things that well-meaning Gadja often fall into, thinking that by championing the ideas of Javert as Romani, they are championing the representation of us in fiction, when in fact all they are championing is a Gadja's racist idea of who we are and what defines us as people. End quote. Wilbur's mistranslation, which is obviously not helped by Victor Hugo's own ill-written Romani characters in Notre Dame de Paris, has had a visible effect on the interpretation of Javert in fandom, as well as on fans of colour, especially Romani ones, who have had to detangle their real identities from well-meaning but still racist caricatures placed upon them. 
This post, I'll remind you, started because of a fan confession that was originally anti-black, and we can see the repercussions of the same link between criminality, shame, self-hatred, disgust, when we look at most other adaptations, where there is a significant disparity between the casting of black and Asian actors as the poor, self-hating, eventually dead Javert and Eponine, then as the beautiful, happy-ending achieving Marius or Cosette. Black women are cast categorically more often as a more sexually promiscuous Fontine and Eponine, who die for the survival of white love and longevity, than as the young and innocent Cosette. There have also been more Asian Eponines than Cosettes, because East Asian women are fetishized as sex workers more than they are as eligible partners, but Asian Cosettes still outnumber black Cosettes. The most recent adaptation in the West was the BBC adaptation, in which every black character in the final episode dies, the only South Asian character becomes a slave trader, and the two beautiful heterosexual white characters attain peace in the sun. Even from a glance at the cast, we can see that to be non-white is to be evil, to be unkempt, shameful, criminal. Even our empathetic protagonists of colour are dirty and killable cannon fodder. Which brings us to identity euphoria. As I mentioned before, a diagnosis of dysphoria is necessary to obtain a certificate of transgender identity. However, in recent years, the transgender community has pioneered another way to consider the transgender umbrella, in which the antithetical term gender euphoria has been coined. This euphoria is defined as a psychological condition which consists of comfort or even joy when thinking about one's true gender identity. When we look at fan adaptations of Les Mis, from fan art to fan fiction, which is more often populated by gender and ethnic minorities, we can explore how to make literary readings away from the colonial. One artist draws Javert as a transgender man. In one image, he is topless, sporting mastectomy scars, with a hairy chest and shaving his iconic mutton chops. In another, he's wearing a t-shirt that reads, trans is beautiful. In another, he is wearing a chest binder. In another, beside what is presumably a self-portrait of the artist, he sits at a stool that reads free psychiatric help and projection. They are both smiling. Below these works of art, the artist confidently proclaims that they project onto Javert, that the art is self-indulgent and brings them comfort. What is notable is that this Javert is a very close rendition of how Javert is described by Victor Hugo in the novel. A pug nose, two enormous sideburns that grow like forests, a terrible gummy grin, hair that falls into his eyes, a permanent frown line, and with big, hairy hands. This description is clearly not intended as a positive one. We are meant to imagine the man as being animalistic, unattractive, serious, and terrifying. And yet this description is one that is taken and projected upon, romanticised as being something that can cause euphoria. For this transgender man to be hairy and big is the goal. We cannot ignore that in fan art, the protagonist Valjean is still consistently drawn with lighter skin than the antagonist Javert, a legacy of the history of racism from that initial mistranslation. But we can also see racial euphoria in many of the latest portrayals of Javert, where there is a theme of growth. In one image, Valjean extends a hand over Javert's heart, and glowing green shoots extend, as if growing from Javert's chest. In another, Valjean and Javert kiss in a field of flowers. In another, Javert, who is black, stands confidently with a halo around his head. Hugo writes, Fontine would have caused a heart of stone to melt with her pleas, but there is no melting a heart of wood. These fan images imagine a life after the novel for Javert, in which he is taken from Hugo's white grasp and given time and space to think critically about himself and his actions. And in throwing aside his connection with the police and thus white superiority, and taking pride in his ethnicity, gender identity and queer sexuality, so his wooden heart regains its life. 
In none of these images do we read shame or self-hatred because these artists free Javert from a euphoric perspective, where what a white male author has described as thick hair, a wide nose, and a formidable mouth are desirable traits, attractive, kissable, and beautiful. I turn finally to images of Cosette because, unlike Javert, she does not have the legacy of mistranslation. As Shut the Fuck Up rightly points out, to this day no fan nor translator has implied that Cosette is Romany. Cosette is quite clearly depicted as white in the novel, with lustrous white skin, blonde hair, and sparkling blue eyes. In Hugo's novel, after a lifetime of being told she is ugly, Cosette wakes up one morning and looks in the mirror. As she looks, at first she is bewildered, wild, and then is giddy with inexpressible rapture as she decides, I am beautiful. In many works by fans, Cosette is depicted as a black woman, as fat, as dark-skinned, with curly hair, with a bleach blonde afro, with glasses and with stretch marks, with blushing cheeks, loved and loving of her girlfriend, brown and Asian Eponines, who are trans, who have thick eyebrows, who have dark and golden skin, and hooked noses. So often named as ugly and undesirable in the colonial world, these are all euphoric traits in these women, who confidently and self-lovingly exclaim that they are beautiful. Hugo briefly mentions that he will not describe Cosette's toilette, for that is not a place where men belong, and one fanfiction plays with this idea by imagining Cosette as a trans woman, following her into the bathroom to watch her put on eyeliner and fiddle with her skirt, deciding, as she looks in the mirror, that she is beautiful, outside of the range of her white male creator. When Cosette stands proudly as a black woman, Andra stands as an indigenous protester, and characters with dark skin and with Asian features carry themselves with confidence. There is no indication of shame or of self-hatred. Their racial and gender identities are something to be proud of. From this, we can unpick our understanding of the source text and our assumptions about what is or isn't period-typical racism and transphobia. To do transgender and racial readings of text, we often come across the idea that this is not of its time. But I would argue that Victor Hugo, while unarmed with contemporary words like transgender, created a protagonist who was non-binary. Despite typically masculine actors like Hugh Jackman and Dominic West playing him in adaptations, Hugo describes Jean Valjean as being androgynous, a mother-father, not quite both, masculine and feminine. Victor Hugo also commented once that George Sand cannot determine whether she is male or female. I entertain high regard for all of my colleagues, but it is not my place to decide whether she is my sister or my brother. Showing, in my view, a more progressive understanding of how commenting on someone else's gender is not his place as a cis man, an idea that many contemporary writers, to name J.K. Rowling as one, struggle with. We can then ask who it is that we need to reclaim the canon from, and who demands of us to see that gender and racial euphoria is a newfangled, hyper-contemporary idea, decolonizing not just the text but our current academic standard that claims trans people and people of colour as anachronistic, despite our predating the world of Hugo. This is only supposed to be the start of this conversation, but I hope it can be a tool in our continued anti-colonial practice. In allowing ourselves to claim these characters for our own, to do literary criticism and to argue for a transgender reading, or a black reading, or a Romany reading, and to do so by pointing out not just the dysphoria, the shame, and the self-hatred, but to claim the euphoria, the beautiful, and the romantic, we can continue to decolonize how we refer to ourselves and to our fellows. Where before we were relegated to fighting over scraps, we can instead look for beauty and confidence and power in abundance. Uh, so some of you might have noticed in this talk that I talk a lot about fan art and as part of my methodology I have decided that I am not linking directly to fan art 
in um, my work, uh, mostly to protect the privacy of the fan artists. But in the show notes, there are going to be some links to uh, some of the blog posts that I mentioned, especially the one by Shut the Fuck Up, Kaja, um, because I owe a lot of this argument to that person. Um, if you have any comments, questions or quibbles with what I have just said, you are more than welcome to send me an email. You can send that to lamerspodcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at lamerspodcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. I hope you enjoyed listening to this, um, and I hope you have a beautiful day. <laughs>